It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. Hey, coaches, before we get going today, I just wanted to thank you for all you've been doing to support this podcast. And we have an incredible lineup coming up here. We have just about every major college conference represented. We have a ton of FBS coaches, Division II coaches, Division III coaches, some great high school football coaches coming on the podcast to share with you and help you grow professionally during this time. I really appreciate all of you asking your questions on Twitter. Please follow me at Coach K Grabowski for our daily updates on our guests and your opportunity to ask questions. We will read them on the show and attribute those to you. Um, So please contribute to the show as much as you can. I also want to talk to you a little bit about our football development model, which is something we've rolled out here at USA Football. And this is really for you to uh, be able to help your youth football programs develop. It's about a long-term athlete development plan, something that comes off of the American development model, which is something that the USOC has put together. The idea is that we're able to teach skills in a progression starting at the youngest ages. We're also looking at the different game types we have, whether that's flag, which is non-contact, limited contact games like padded flag or tackle bar, and full contact, and the right progressions for contact teaching there as well. Be sure to check out all we do at footballdevelopment.com and check out what we're doing with the FDM, the football development model, at usafootball.com backslash fdm.usafootball.com. Joining me on the podcast today is the receivers coach at Boston College, Joe Daly. Joe, it's great to have you back here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. You know, it's been a while since we've uh, last visited, but I've followed you regularly and really looking forward to it. I remember vividly, you know, the day we did our last podcast and you, you told me in the morning, like, Hey, and you were at Liberty, so the Liberty staff got let go today, and we were doing it in December. Like, oh, man, but, you know, you graciously went on with it, and it was an outstanding podcast about, really about being an offensive coordinator, and I think anybody at any level would want to go back to that one. We'll put it in our show notes, but that was a great conversation on all kinds of things about, you know, the things you need to do as an OC. Oh, yeah, certainly, and that was probably after my fourth season of of being an OC, and just some of the things I had learned prior to that. And then, you know, all the things I learned during that opportunity to be an OC. And then, you know, since then, 
you know, I've been an OC and then, you know, I'm transitioning to being an assistant coach now. So excited to share, you know, some of the new insights that I've, uh, that I've come across these last two seasons. Absolutely. And, and for our listeners who did hear you when, you know, you were leaving Liberty, you did end up at New Mexico. So, you know, what, what was that like to be able to, you move from Liberty, you know, it's a tough time for a little bit, but, you know, able to move to New Mexico. And then, you know, a year later, you're at the power five level. Yeah, certainly. It was a unique experience. I've never coached out West before. I was in the Mountain West, one of the best, you know, uh, group of five conferences there is. Phenomenal coaching, phenomenal student athletes in that league. And so, you know, I was coming into a situation where there just hadn't been a lot of success the last couple of years at New Mexico under Bob Davey. But the success that we have had at Liberty against a numerous FBS teams, including uh, New Mexico, gave me an opportunity to actually come out there and be the OC. And just an invaluable experience, learned so many different things. Prior to being in New Mexico, you know, I was a heavy RPO, you know, ISO power counter, inside zone, outside zone team. And all of a sudden, I got to solve those same problems I used to do with RPOs now from a quarterback run perspective. So I had, uh, you know, had to adapt and adjust and overcome a lot in a short period of time just because of the talent that we had wasn't going to be able to execute all the things that I wanted to do in the RPO game. So with that in mind, Coach, what, what was your approach in making those adjustments and, and really being able to learn what those guys could do? Certainly. You know, we implemented the system and – we needed to, to take some time to evaluate what we were capable of doing, both mentally and physically. And it didn't take very long into spring ball, probably after about five practices, maybe six, to really get a good feel for what our skill set was. And from there, we were able to kind of trim the fat from the things that we thought would be a waste trying to maintain and continue to develop. It's really hone in on the things that we felt was best for us moving forward uh, going into the 2019 season. And, you know, some of the specific things, you know, had to deal with how do you handle the force problem, right? Is it corner force, safety force? Is it backer force? And, you know, most RPO teams, you're reading force. Um, but when you're dealing with athletes that maybe don't have the, the skill set to pass the football as accurately as you want to and as efficiently as you want to, you got to figure out a way to solve that problem. And so the uniqueness of that situation was same problems, different solutions. And I was able to, you know, implement a system that was capable of handling all the same problems you would have in a, in an RPO system, just from a heavy quarterback run situation. So, Coach, now you've made the move to Boston College, and while the responsibilities change, I'm sure there's a very similar approach to how you do things. And for you, it's going to start with your room, right? So what are the things, you know, you sit down with these guys, you talk to them about this is what we're going to be, these are, the, our, you know, these, these are the characteristics I want to see, these are the things we, we're going to do. What, what are you communicating to the guys in your room? Well, just a day in, in life of a, a receiver here at Boston College, you know, it, usually the subject matter consists of this on a daily basis. One, 
we're always going to start off with something non-football related. So we call it the daily word and we cover topics that are not specifically related to the game of football, you know, really life situations. And I really feel like at the end of the day, if they leave my tutelage, having only learned football, then I've failed them as a, as an educator. And so every single day when we step foot in that room, before we ever talk X's and O's, alignments and assignments, techniques, and, and anything of that nature, we talk about life. And we, we cover a number of different categories and topics just specific to, you know, what, what these young men are going to deal with once they leave, you know, our guidance. And so I know we're going to be graded by wins and losses, but I'll look back on my career and, and be able to say what kind of coach I've been on, what kind of men these guys, you know, turn into 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So we always start off with something non-football related for that reason. Then from there, we'll talk about our wide receiver mantra. Like, what are we supposed to be as a group? And we say, first and foremost, we got to be fundamentally and technique sound. we got to be fast, physical, and disciplined. And anytime that football goes up with me, it comes down. And everyone in the room is expected to recite that. And that is who we are, and that's who we must be every day on and off the football field. And then from there, we always talk, you know, always cover a defensive topic, whether it be alignments, whether it be coverages, whether it be uh, schematical thoughts, et cetera. And then we'll jump right into our uh, install. We'll talk about a laundry list from things we need to clean up from the previous day. And then we'll talk about goals and our agenda for that day. So those are the things that, you know, we'll cover on a daily basis year round. So from there, coach, I know one of our, one of our listeners had a question about everyday drills and that was coach Houston from Austin, Texas. Want to know what are your everyday drills? Yeah, certainly. Well, at the end of the day, when it matters most, if you're not fundamentally technique sound on the biggest play of the football game, then you have no shot, no shot at all. And so my everyday drills always resort back to, you know, the fundamentals and techniques that are needed when it matters most. So what are, those, what are those things specifically? Specifically, the stance and start. And if you would turn on my indie tape, you will see us work some form or fashion of our stance and start every single day. It doesn't take a long time, but it's necessary for training the receivers because any wasted movement at that position takes away from the timing and rhythm of the route, the timing and rhythm of the block and the duration of the block etc. So we're always going to start with stance and start. From there, we'll talk about specifically the escapes or what most people call releases. I think that that's important because, you know, in crucial situations, you're probably going to get pressed man if it's third and anywhere from one to six. And it depends on obviously the nature of the defense coordinator, but, you know, press man is the one thing that you're going to get when it really matters most in certain uh, situations down distance wise. And, so we have to be able to work our releases and win at the line of scrimmage. If you win at the line of scrimmage, then you got a much better chance to win at the top of the route and be successful. And then at least to my, you know, my very last point is the top of the route, right? Like how do we finish and complete the actual execution of the route? And with us at, at Boston College, you know, we got four specific 
top of the route departures. And so those three areas are what we work on specifically every day. Now there, you can also throw in the ball drills and finding the flight of the football from a number of different angles, but specifically the stance and start, the releases and escapes, and then the top of the route departures in addition to some ball drills. I know I had a, a question from Andy Browning, who's from Louisville, Kentucky, and wanted to know of those components, what would you say is the most important part of the route? You probably, if I can't say there's one specific area because, you know, without, without one component of the route, then there's no success. So that's why those EDDs are important to us. If you, if you really had to, to put a finger on, you know, the one area that we spend the most amount of time training because it's, because there's so many different angles of departures that will probably be the top of the route because we don't run routes like everyone else in, in the country. You know, how we run routes at Boston College is all about speed. So every single turn that we have, every cut, every break, so to speak, is done so with speed. There are no full foot cuts in our uh, route running. And the main reason being is anytime you have full foot cuts where you have to go heel toe, heel toe, heel toe, and then change direction, you are now decreasing your speed and giving the defensive back an opportunity to now get in phase or gain leverage on your route. And so the top of the route for us at Boston College matters a great deal because that's where we create separation and gain leverage. Also on the release, had a question on that from Steve Bodden Distel from Montclair, Virginia. Wanted to know on a wide receiver release to fall step, which he called a plyo step, where to not fall step. And I think your answer again probably was speed. There's going to be some things that you believe in there, but you know what are what's your opinion on that? Well, I think most wideouts, if they're trying to to win with speed and elusiveness, you know naturally they're going to get into a split foot position or where you're almost square, where you're talking about false step. And that gives you the capability to give the illusion of going left or going right multiple times. And so in some situations, you know, the plyo step or the false step is necessary if you are giving the receiver the freedom to get open however need be at the line of scrimmage. In other situations where there is a timing and rhythm component built into the route, protection quarterbacks drop there is no need whatsoever to get into a split foot position because that decreases your opportunity to get to where you need to get on time and on rhythm and it only hurts us up front in the protection game and then you got your quarterback holding on to the football you know that much longer so there is a place for getting into a split foot position to where you can really be elusive and shake the defender and really lose them at the line of scrimmage. And there's places where that's not necessary predicated on the, you know, the timing and rhythm of the pass. And, you know, you've, you've talked about just in the, in the last minute or two, a lot about the timing and the rhythm of the pass. And, and I can remember back to when I was at Baldwin Wallace and, 
you know, we were making a transition the, the year I took over as coordinator to some different things, but we really put a premium on, premium on calibrating the passing game so that everything we did with the quarterback and his footwork and where his eyes were going was going to match up to all the things that the receivers were doing to you know, get into their route, to get to their break point, to make their break. Because I think you'll agree with this. If, if those aren't calibrated well, those windows close and, or they start to look different when you have that, that really leads to bad things quite a bit. So how do you guys go about making sure everything's calibrating with the quarterback? Well, I'd say this, you hit the nail on the head with the calibration of the, the concepts for us. We're tying the shoelaces of the pass protection, the wide receivers, and the quarterbacks together. We are laced. We're intertwined. We are united. And so the depth of our route, the location or reception area, in addition to the pass protection time frame, in addition to the quarterback's feet, arm, and eyes, they are all laced together. They are all in sync which allow us to be playing in unison and in unity. And so there is a premium put on the timing and rhythm of the quarterback's drop of the offensive line set and the eligible receivers on each uh, route and pass concept. Because at the end of the day, us being a, an NFL pro style West coast slash best of what's available and out there in college football offense, there has to be a timing mechanism built into those three areas of every, of every pass concept. So coach, it's, it's easy to calibrate those when you have off coverage or when you have a defender who consistently plays things the same way. I think you would agree the best defenders are going to come out there you know, with like, like a pitcher would, right? They're going to have their fastball, they're going to have their curveball, they're going to have their changeup. They're going to be doing different things to your receivers to, to, to keep them from getting where they want to go and to mess up that calibration and timing. So from your perspective, what are you putting in their toolbox to handle those different variations of, of coverage, whether that's going to be somebody who collisions and carries, a spot droppers, you know, a guy on the outside dealing with press, you know, bail, all those kinds of different techniques that they're going to see. Yeah, certainly. So you're talking about arming the the receiver with the ammunition and tools needed to combat the, you know, the different defenders and the techniques that they're going to, they're going to face. And so, you know, there's two areas that I break down uh, our releases or escapes into. You got finesse releases and then you got combat releases, right? And so, you don't have to really use the finesse and combat releases versus soften off coverage, right? That's just, it's just there. It's available. I'm, I'm accessible to getting to the stem of my route uh, unimpeded. When I'm coming into a situation at the line of scrimmage where I am now in a finesse or combat position with a defender, I have to be able to execute the finesse moves or the combat moves in order for me to get to where I need to get to. And so we say here at Boston College, the single thread in our route running is to get us to, into a particular spot on the football field as fast as possible. And so 
executing both the finesse releases and the hand combat releases give us an opportunity to execute, you know, that one goal. So, so your finesse releases, you know, you got your true speed release where you're just hitting it with gas and trying to outrun them. You got, you know, your single stick, your double sticks, you know, you got your, your stutter releases where you stutter in or stutter out pending on leverage. You got your read releases where at the snap of the football, you step back and you read exactly what the defender's technique is. He a jump defender technique. Is he executing a read technique off of your release, et cetera? So those are some of the finesse releases. And there's a couple more, but a lot of those, you know, that are part of that menu take away from the timing and rhythm of what you're trying to do, unless you're giving the receiver the capability to just get open at the line of scrimmage. You know, the hand combat releases is a different deal. That's for those guys that are, they're going to shoot high or low and you got to be able to swat or rip and knock down the defender's hand so that you can get back on top or get uh get to a certain spot uh unimpeded or restricted limitedly so you know those are two areas that you know we focus on on a daily basis in terms of releases with defenders that are immediately impeding my route when you're looking at that from week to week, you know, you're, you're going to certainly present those to your players. How much of that scouting report are you counting on them to, I guess, come up with some answers of their own and, and look at it and talk to you about what they think they could do best about that guy? Yes, yeah, certainly. So there's, there's two components built into a scouting report for an upcoming opponent. Specifically with our players, I'm going to have, a detailed evaluation written on each guy that we're going to go against on the perimeter and in the slot. And then I'm going to ask our own receiving core to do the same thing. And then once we get together for the game planning and the actual implementation of the game plan, you know, we're going to talk about specifically what we've been able to evaluate on tape, what we think works best, what we've seen, through the body of, of work that that defender has put on tape for us to to really take advantage of what his skill set is or what his weaknesses are. And then from there, you know, we go about executing it in our EDDs that week. So, Coach, maybe not as much in, in New Mexico, but definitely now that you are in the Northeast at Boston, what Bad weather drills. This is from Scoop Reed. And I can tell you, Coach, Scoop Reed is like getting questions into every guest. This dude has to be sitting back with a notebook and he's getting all his questions answered. But Scoop wanted to know what effective bad weather uh, catching drills do you use? There's a number of, of ball drills that, that we use just in your traditional weather, right? Like just non, uh, non com, you know, conflict conditions. Once you run into situations where you're going to be dealing with elements of wind, of rain, sun, that plays a big role. Some of these stadiums that you're playing, you know, are built in ways where the sun is going to be you know, affecting the flight of the football and you being able to see it. You know, probably the best way to put it is we isolate these drills. So, you know, your fade ball drills where it's over your shoulder or back shoulder. Is it a sideline toe tap with a high point or a sideline toe tap low point? shallow cross 
where it's thrown out in front or thrown behind, a true post route, a slant, et cetera. We do all the same ball drills. The only thing that we try to do is change, you know, what the uh, condition of the football is in, right? So what are we talking about? The elements, right? So the rain, right? So we do a wet ball drills, right? So we'll do all those same drills, the fades, the slants, the sideline toe taps, the shell cross drills, posts, et cetera, with a wet football. And trust me now, these things are, I mean, they are doused in the water now, doused. So, and most of the time we use kicker balls because those are the best balls to really use for those drills. There's not a lot of thread or, uh, you know, uh, grippable surface areas. And we really try to, you know, make it as taxing and, and as difficult as possible, you know. So there's certain times where, you know, we can do drills in our indoor because of how it's situated. There's a there's a real glass area that's, I mean, heavy glass oriented. So certain times of the day, the glass, the sun has a unique glare. So we'll do some drills right right on the hash or right on the numbers in that vicinity where when football's coming off the boundary and they have to find the flight of the football, uh, even though there may be some sun coming in through that glass. Um, and then you got to deal with those wacky, you know, flight paths of the football on deep routes most of the time. It's not in that short or intermediate area. It's most of the time on go routes or post routes or deep overs. And we'll do a number of drills using the jugs where, you know, we'll have the players position 20, 30 yards downfield and we'll position the football in the jugs machine in a fashion in which the ball is not going to come out in the most desirable fashion in terms of a spiral, but it's going to come out in a funky way in which you really got to track the flight of the football and make a decision on if you have to put your head down and and relocate and really dig to find the fight of the football, or you got to be able to track the football and you may be beating the football and you have to slow down into in, in order to get back in phase with the football. So there's a number of drills that, that we have and that, that we try to execute ever so often. It's not a, it's not an everyday deal, but it's something that we are mindful of because there's going to be opportunities for those things to occur. And we have to have, you know, prepared for those. Coach, another question from uh, Coach Reed, the recruiting side of things. What things are you looking for in, in a receiver as you guys are recruiting that particular guy that you, you, maybe he's not exactly, you know, all those things now, but you see the opportunity for him to fit in to and be part of your program, be part of your offense. What, are, what things do you look for? Yeah, certainly. We we always start off with the talent component of it, right? Like, does the young man have the physical capabilities to be successful at this level and within our scheme? So, talent is the is the first thing that we try to identify. And specifics within the talent, you know, what are we looking for at the wide receiver position? You know, there's a difference between size and length. You know, size being height, length being, you know, how long some man, uh, young man's limbs are, how, how long his, his, his fingers are, uh, how big his feet are, you know, uh, speed versus twitch, you know, guys that are fast versus guys that are twitchy, because there is a difference between the two. A young man's catch radius, can he catch the football away from his body 
in all different areas, or is he really only good when the ball is, you know, from his chin down or from his chin up? Does he have strong hands, right? Because a lot of times on tape when you watch a wideout, you can see whether he catches the ball initially, right when the ball's thrown into his into his pocket, or does he double clutch it? His ability to bend, sink, change the direction, you know, the ability to transition, those are a number of things we look at. His fluidity in his gait, you know, does he lumber? Does he struggle to run or is it just natural? Is he just like a gazelle and it's just he's floating? His ability to play vertically, like can he go up and catch the football, right? Because the high, highest man wins on uh, jump balls. And can he, can he stretch the field vertically? His separation skills, like at the top of the route, does he create separation and leverage or does he slow down and every every throw is a, a body catch because he can't create separation? Does he have special teams value? Does he do a number of things beyond just his primary position? And that there tells us really what kind of player we're getting is if he's involved in a number of different special teams and he's as good, if not a better player, when he doesn't have the football, then that's a young man that we definitely need to recruit. So you definitely got the talent component. That's the first thing we look at. Then from there, we look at the, you know, the academics. Does your young man have the capability to academically compete at Boston College? Because Boston College is not for everyone academically. It's a very challenging place. And the degree from Boston College means a lot, carries a lot of weight, and will definitely play a huge role in, in a young man's life after football. And so there's definitely the, the academic uh, evaluation. And then lastly, the character, right? Like what type of young man are we dealing with? We're not so much concerned about his socioeconomic situation or his background. We're more concerned with what type of young man are we dealing with? Does he have the, the desire to keep in the classroom, on the field? Does he have a can't quit, won't quit mentality? Is he constantly seeking knowledge? Is he trying to get better? Uh, what type of person is he? What type of teammate is he? Things of that nature. So it's, we're looking at a, at a student athlete in three different cat, in areas. Excuse me. It's talent, it's the academic, and it's the character component. So those first two, those are easy to see, right? You, you have the film, you have the report cards, the character, of course, they're going to come and visit you and, and you're going to have some of the time. You're going to be able to be on the phone with them. What other ways do you really go, go about learning as far as the, the character of who he is and is he going to be a fit for Boston College? Yeah, part of the academic evaluation when you go out in the road recruiting does have a, a place for the character evaluation. And so most of the time you have to go through a guidance counselor or you have to check in at the front desk. And if there's a young man that we're seriously, seriously inquiring about, we want to know more about, you know, we're going to ask at the front desk, hey, have you had much interaction with, you know, so-and-so? Really? What type of young man is he? And so I can tell you with every guy that I've signed, or have been seriously, you know, pursuing, I've asked a number of different parties at, at the institution that they're at about the young man's character, uh, because that matters at the end of the day. You know, who he is when he's not around the coaches is, is who we're concerned with. Who's that guy? 
not around us. They're going to do everything we want them to do when they're around us. But who are they when they're away from our supervision and guidance? Those are the guys that, you know, that we're after that have the talent that and the, excuse me, the character that's compatible with our program and our institution and what Jeff Halfley and our athletic director want. Tell you what, Coach, it's an interesting time. We've never faced this before, and we don't know how long it's it's going to go on, and or what some of the, uh, I guess, social distancing requirements are going to be for these guys. I know a lot of guys are out there, maybe working with a buddy or whatever. But what can receivers do now? Whether they're yours or other receivers across the country, what can they do now? What are some easy things they can do to make sure that they keep honing their skills? Yes, yeah, certainly. You know, at Boston College, you know we've come up and we are literally in the process of implementing it on a daily basis here now, a way for our young men to be accountable and committed to the person that they want to become athletically and personally, in addition to, you know, being a good teammate and representing Boston College well. And so, you know, we've put together an agenda that we are holding each other accountable to. And it always starts off with, you know, getting up and, and, and get something to eat, then actually getting some physical activity, right? Like actually working out. Now, if our young men are accessible to weights, we understand there's a number of different body weight routines that we can use and implement that will keep us, you know, in shape mentally and physically, keep us flexible, keep our speed in our conditioning. Then there's the third component of the academic piece where, our young men are still in classes. Obviously, it's just online. And so there's an accountability there where they have to sign in, and it is monitored for the duration of which they're signed in. There's also uh, online tutoring that our young men have, right? And then there's the, the component of sleep, right, making sure that our guys aren't up and at it all night long, getting a limited amount of sleep now that they're on their own. And not being able to, you know, make gains in the recovery component of it. So between the nutrition, the academic component, the athletic component, you know, the sleep component, you know, there's a number of different things, you know, that young men can do. I know our guys are actively, you know, trying to execute that now, but all, you know, really all student athletes can kind of follow that, that model there. So, Coach, we know that the Boston College receivers coached by Joe Daly are going to get a lot of attention to detail. Uh, They're really going to get coached up on the field. But with all the things you're doing as a coach, what's the one thing you feel is going to give your guys the winning edge here in 2020? Man, it's just like a can't quit, won't quit mentality. Like to always find an answer if there's a problem. And, you know, we adhere to this term of Kaizen, which stands for constant, never-ending improvement. And every single day, finding a way to improve who we are, whether it's mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, but constantly seeking improvement in our daily lives. And that's all I'm asking from my guys. And I've asked my guys to hold me accountable to that. And if we relentlessly pursue that, there's an opportunity for us to be really, really good. Coach, where are your recruiting responsibilities in the country? Currently, my primary areas are Western Connecticut, Central and North Jersey. And then some of the other areas that I cover, 
South Carolina and then actively pursuing student athletes in Louisiana as well. And then national wide receivers. And for our coaches out there in their, in those areas or really, if they have any questions for you, what's the best way to connect? You can definitely hit me on my Twitter handle uh, at coach daily underscore a six. Oh, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time again and, and talking ball with us and sharing with coaches. Uh, thanks for having me. And as always, you know, really appreciate, you know, what you do and for the game and us coaches and the fans and, and those alike. Coaches, again, want to remind you of what we're doing with the football development model. Please push this down to your youth coaches. I think this is a great way for you to get some organization and structure beyond what